Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi, this is All Rise with Diane Godfrey, the podcast, a true, true crime podcast with stories from the courtroom and beyond from the lady who wrote everything down, Diane Godfrey. I'm Jordan Rich, and today Diane and I are welcoming back an old friend and a great guest, Joe O'Donnell, author of a series of great books, and his latest is the story of a young boy who escapes with his life from the clutches of the Soviets in the 1950s. The story is a memoir called Run For My Life by Joseph P. O'Donnell, as told by Daniel Coleman. And we cannot wait to share the details with you. So, Diane, court's in session. I'll let you kick things off with Joe. We have a special guest that is backed by popular demand. He was here prior, Joseph P. O'Donnell. He wrote a terrific book, Living on the Fringe of the Mob, but we're back with his another book of his, Run For My Life. It's a page-turner. So, good morning, Joe. Good morning, Diane. Welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, you know, I read this book a few months back when you sent it to me, and I read it last night again. I reread it. And I'm telling you, it's a page-turner. It's great. Naturally, the second time around, I noticed little things that I didn't get the first time around. We're going to go off-road today with the podcast because we're going to talk about crime, but this is another avenue of crimes. Mm. This is like epic, proportional, outrageous. How do you say it, George? Well, I say it this way. This is a crime uh, against civilizations, and it's dealing with communism and the oppression of it. And Joe, why don't you set us up? It's told by Daniel Coleman, which is a pseudonym for obvious reasons. Why don't you outline the basic storyline, if you would? Sure. Well, as you know and have mentioned, my previous book was uh, Living on the Fringe of the Mob. And, and that was really my first effort in the genre of memoir. Prior to that time, um, my writing was pretty much confined to mystery fiction uh, when I wrote my Gallagher novels. But a man who lives here at our club in Florida approached me and asked me if I'd be interested in writing his life story. And my first thought was, oh, no, not another memoir. And, and the reason I had the hesitancy is that unlike my mystery novels where I was able to make everything up, a memoir involves hours of interviews to gather the details of the subject's life. And then you have to go back trying to jog the subject's memory about the specific circumstances of some event that happened 40 or 50 years earlier. I wasn't sure I wanted to write another one. I knew it was going to be a very time-consuming exercise. But after just one meeting with this guy, it was clear to me that his story was so compelling that it had to be told. Riveting beyond belief. You know, when I was reading it, I was wild. I was so mad. (laughs) I was getting more and more mad. But you know what? 
I was rooting. I wanted to stand up and cheer for him, for his mother. It's extra, it's an extraordinary story. Well, it's also a two-part story of oppression, right, Joe? Because the family is is almost wiped out by the Nazis during the Holocaust. Yes. So uh, take us through the timeline of, of this family. And sure. then, then I know sure. Diane wants to talk about the mom and all the great stuff that you uncovered. Right. Well, his mother was married to another man in the late 1930s. They were a Jewish family, and they had three children, uh, two teenage boys, and they were young teenagers, and a daughter who was about eight years old. And once the Nazis took over the occupation of Czechoslovakia, they began their terror against Jewish families. And one day, uh, there was a pounding on the door. His mother answered the door, and it went members of the Gestapo, and they arrested her two teenage sons and her husband and executed them. And then, you know, days later, she got word that they were going to come back for the women. So she packed up uh, a bag with provisions, some water and food from uh, the house, and she took her daughter out into a forest and hid there for days. And finally, she was running out of food and water, and she came upon a farmer, and he took pity on them and hid his mother and her daughter in the loft of his barn uh, under the hay. And days later... The Nazis uh, would show up at a truck full of soldiers, and they would put bayonets on the top of their rifles and go into the farmhouse and begin poking up through the hay, hoping to find Jews that were hiding. And luckily, uh, they were never discovered. After the war, the Nazis were driven out. People in her town of Bratislava got word that the Russians were going to be taking over the country. You know, uh, Churchill, FDR, and Stalin, uh, in that pact that they made, uh, the Russians got Czechoslovakia. So the mother uh, talked to her brothers who were about to leave the country. They said, we're getting out of here. We're going to Israel. She said, take, take my daughter. And they did. They took her daughter with them to Israel. And then she married uh, another man who was also Jewish and the subject of the book, uh, Daniel Coleman, is the product of that marriage. And he was the only child. He was born in 1948. By age 12 in 1960, Daniel was the star athlete of his elementary school. He was the fastest runner. He was the best soccer player. And uh, his mother used to go to all of his games, and uh, she loved watching him as a young athlete. And one day, uh, they were home, and as Daniel told me, uh, he was alone at home with his mother, and there was a pounding on the door. She went to the answer the door, and there were two KGB officers with two Slovakian military people. And they said to her, we understand your boy is a very good athlete. And she said, oh, yes, I know I go to his games. He's, I enjoy them so much, and he's the fastest runner. And they said, we know all of that. 
we're taking him away. And she said to them, you can't take him away. I lost you know, two children and uh, two boys in the Second World War, and uh, you can't do that. And they said, you have no say in this matter. And uh, she began to fight with them. And Daniel told me that he remembers vividly just hiding behind his mother's skirt uh, so these guys would not take him away. And they literally pushed her to the floor uh, and dragged him away in a car. And he was taken to a Soviet Union sports camp where he was going to be trained as an Olympic athlete. And his mother was allowed to see him and his father, where they were allowed to see him once a week at best, but he said usually it was once a month. And he was in this sports camp for four years. Heartbreaking. You know, the mother was so resilient. And, you know, these crimes, one after another, the injustice of the whole thing, a large-scale train wreck. Yeah, and and Joe, you captured it so well in, in this book called Run For My Life. You Talk about the parents and the sister who's living elsewhere. And again, we don't want to give away all the ins and outs, but talk a little bit about the father and what happened to him and how he was sort of morphing into a communist sympathizer, at least allegedly. Well, his father, uh, again, he's a Jewish man. He had been in a concentration camp himself during World War II, but he managed to escape, come back to Bratislava, then he you know, married, and he was a, a very smart guy. He was uh, uh, well into computers and technology and engineering. And <clears throat> as a result, when the Russians took over, he became a valuable asset to them because uh, they wanted to develop more technology, and he had the expertise. And even though he was, leery of them early on and uh, was afraid that they were spying on them. And obviously, uh, Daniel's uh, mother, his wife, had told him what happened to her uh, with the uh, Nazis. So he was leery of of the Russians. But over time, uh, they began to treat him so well, and he got so many perks because they they valued his expertise, that he gradually shifted over to thinking that communism was not so bad after all. And that was in direct conflict with his wife because she she never had any uh, respect for them, and she was constantly uh, aware that they were a threat. You know, it reminds me as you're talking, I don't know if this is accurate, but it sounds to me like Stockholm Syndrome. When you're, you know, like, remember yeah. Patty Hearst when she was... Oh, captured? sure, sure. But there's also a question about whether or not the father was helping by assisting the Russians, protecting his family. It's a little unclear. There's a, a scene in the book, which really happened, uh, the husband of the father takes the son out to lunch. You want to share a little bit of that scene? Oh, sure. Well, um, Daniel uh, was in the in, you know, confined to this sports camp for four years, and, and during that time, uh, he became not only the best soccer player, but he uh, gradually morphed into tennis and became the star tennis 
player of the uh, star junior tennis player of the whole entire camp. Well, he made the Junior Davis Cup tennis team for the Soviet Union, and uh, they were scheduled to go on a trip uh, throughout Europe to play different countries. They were first going to uh, Prague for a uh, match against the Prague team. His father was happened to be in the same city at that time and invited Daniel to have lunch with him. During the lunch, and it was the first time Daniel had beer, by the way. His father got bought two beers for him. Uh, they were supposed to celebrate uh, being together. Anyway, his, his father spent time during that lunch together trying to convince him not to, rather, to embrace the uh, Russian philosophy, and to not try to escape. Daniel just rejected that, and eventually it led to his motivation uh, to escape uh, during this particular tennis trip through Europe. You know, they were an extraordinary family. the mother had an uncanny ability to assess what bad situation she was one and she'd re she was in a bad situation she'd reinvent herself and it you know she just marched forward one foot in front of the other but you know she the daughter as you had mentioned went to Israel so she yes. didn't even get to see her daughter grow up but in fact that was like an ally that was like a, yeah. a good thing to have a family member you know, in another country. So can you speak to that? Daniel had not met his uh, uh, half-sister until he was probably age 14 when his mother was able to arrange to meet her daughter and his half-sister in um, Warsaw. And they were able to have a, a meeting there and during that meeting, it was like a revelation to Daniel. He was, like I said, 14 years old. And his sister talked about how terrible the Russians were going to be as he got older. She said, they will use up your uh, athletic ability, and when they no longer have use for you, uh, you will have no life. And so you should, at the first opportunity, escape. And this shocked him, and he was 14 years old. And he said, how could I escape? The the guards, uh, we're under guard surveillance 24 hours a day, and they have automatic weapons. He uh, he said, how am I going to escape? Her words were basically, just figure it out. Look for the right opportunity, and when you get a chance, escape. Sheer determination. The escape itself is written through the book uh, very, very dramatically, and that's why it's called Run For My Life. We won't share any of that with listeners, but read the story and you'll understand how harrowing it was. But, Joe, before we get to any more about what happens to him after that, just talk about the anti-Semitic fervor that was and probably still is part of that Soviet-Russian experience. That's the main reason why the subject's name is Daniel rather than his real name. Uh, He wanted to tell his story, but both he and his wife felt that they could be the uh, subject of reprisals uh, of people who harbor anti-Semitism. 
Um, so we had long discussions about how we were going to get around this. And I said, look, uh, I, I believe I could write this story with a pseudonym uh, for you. And for, that will keep your family protected because no one will know who you are or where you are. And they agreed to that, worked out very well. And that's where we are now. Diane and I were talking about this, uh, and Diane, you can jump in as well, about when he finally has an opportunity to get away from his guards, right, Diane? And he contacts uh, someone, uh, I think it's the American embassy in one particular country, Greece, was it, I believe? The reaction of the Americans, uh, it was actually, it made me proud to read that. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And, you know, that's why we've fought like roosters all through history for freedom and everything that we stand for. I know it sounds cliche, but are you kidding me? The oppression that this kid, he was frightened all the time. The poor mother, she lost two kids and a husband to the Nazis. Then she had to give up her daughter. Then they came and ripped her son under, you know, he's going to be an athlete. He's out of here. And I mean, one atrocity after the next. And this is just a microcosm, Joe, of what the Soviet system was like. Oh, yes. You know, uh, when he was in the sports camp as a tennis and soccer player, he had a friend who was a, a member of the tennis team with him. Uh, unbeknownst to Daniel, his friend, Ian, had desires to escape as well. And, and, and just a little uh, side story uh, to the book is that these kids knew that they were under surveillance and these Russian guards had rifles. Uh, that would just mow them down without any hesitancy if they tried to escape. So that was a, a daily living fear they had, that they, if they stepped the wrong way, they, they, they could be killed. But nevertheless, uh, this friend of his, uh, Ian, uh, secretly decided to escape one night. He happened to have been a, an expert swimmer, and his plan was, to escape from the camp, which was located pretty close to the Danube River that separated Czechoslovakia from Austria. Uh, Vienna was just across the way. Uh, I think it was probably, as uh, Daniel told me, in some areas only 40 or 50 meters wide. And his friend thought, uh, he was an expert swimmer, that he would get to the beach, put a straw in his mouth, and then swim underwater to get to the uh, other side of the river and be free in Austria. However, he did not understand that the Russian guards raked the beach every night so it was smooth. When someone would be, uh, when they would see footprints in the sand when they shined their uh, beacon lights down onto the beachhead, that they would know that somebody was walking across the sand towards the water. Sure enough, they spotted the, the footprints and, ex and they uh, mowed him down with machine guns. Uh, he was killed. Yeah, that's a traumatic experience for Daniel to witness, right, Diane? And the fact yeah. that he's able to finally do it, make the move to escape, and we, we again, will let readers check that out. That's dramatic. Is sure. It says a lot about him. But coming back to the mom, Diane, you keep saying this, and I agree, that the mom showed leadership and poise and strength. And when she finally gets out herself 
she comes to America with nothing, as so many you immigrants. Know, she outsmarted. I don't want to give too much of the book away, but she outsmarted the authorities. Oh, she did, and I wanted I thought to. That was beautiful. Yeah. Uh, in fact, Joe, if you could comment on something that we both noticed, I mean, the mother was able to even in in the Iron Curtain area work the system a little bit. What did she have control over that that kept the well, uh, the bureaucrats in check? Yeah, when the Russians took over the country, uh, they they wanted to take advantage of all of the commerce that was possible, and and they wanted to uh, you know expand the money in their pockets at the at the expense of the Czechoslovakian citizens, but they didn't know what to do. Uh, you know, they weren't familiar with the bureaucracy of the area. Uh, and his mother had experience as a purchasing agent and a distributor of foodstuffs in the city of Bratislava. So they appointed her to continue in her position. And as a result, she was in control of a lot of perks that she could uh, pass on to some of the Russian uh, generals and diplomats that were uh, there to run the city. Uh, in, in effect, she bribed them. You know, if there was a shortage of bread, she made sure they had bread. If there was a shortage of bananas, they were the first to get bananas. I, and it was as really basic as that. And uh, she kind of had the uh, a, a power over them because they were corrupt. Uh, they were taking these benefits from her, but they didn't want anybody to know about it. So she had this position of authority for years and eventually used it to her advantage to get out of the country. Nobody that deserved it more than her because that poor woman went through hell. Um, yep. You know, I thought it was, there's, you know, there's a lot to this book. It's jaw-dropping. It's, it's amazing. You just keep turning the page saying, oh, my God, I can't believe that happened. Oh, my God, I can't believe that happened. But I, one thing that made me proud, Jordan spoke about being proud, when he finally makes it to America and he gets his eye on New York as the boat is slowly, you know, going into the pier to park at the, you know, near the Statue of Liberty. And I thought that was just, just a, it was beautifully written. But, uh, you. you know, one – you're welcome. There's one thing that I loved was the part when he eventually went home to Bratislava. And, you know, I just have to – quick note. I don't know about you guys, but I visited Bratislava a few years back. And I'm mm. telling you, what a charming, delightful, lovely little country. And, you know, I never would have gone there. It's just that I had a friend that was working in the Canadian embassy. Mm. And she invited – members of my family there, and we had quite the time. It was wonderful. So uh, yeah. we were in Austria, and she said, why don't you come? So we did. But it's old-world charm. I mean, it's really backwards compared to – I don't mean that in a bad way, in a charming way. And mm -hmm. the people are just terrific. And I just keep thinking back of the great time we had there, and on that soil, these atrocities were taking place. But can you speak to when he went back to Bratislava and he visited his home? I thought that was so interesting. Uh, yes. Um, well, you know, uh, Daniel was had been married and had his own family uh, with his wife, and they she convinced him at 
some point, I, I'm guessing that he was about 60 years old or so when she convinced him to do this, but she said, you've got a lot of emotional baggage, and it would be a good idea for you to go back to the country that where you lived and just kind of settle it in your mind. Put it all, you know, you know you're try to put it behind you, but you have to go back there. And um, at that point, his uh, mother had uh, passed away. Uh, his sister was still alive in the United States, and he um, agreed with his wife to go there. But he was somewhat apprehensive because he wasn't sure, because the Russians uh, had left the country. Uh, Czechoslovakia was now free. It was uh, two separate countries, uh, the Czech Republic and Slovakia. It was independent. Uh, so he, you know, he was happy about that, but he was concerned that some of the military people who had been in the Russian army for all these years were Russian sympathizers. And he just wasn't sure how they were going to react to uh, his coming back to the country. And he had an incident at the border that he told me caused him to literally shake in his boots. Uh, he and his wife flew to Austria, rented a car, and drove to the Slovakian border. And at the border, they had to present their passports, and they did. And the guard went to the computer uh, in his little station there and put in the information, and then seemed to stop dead in his tracks and kept looking at the passports back and forth, looking at the computer screen, and finally came out to the car and said to uh, Daniel and his wife, pull over there. There's something here that doesn't make sense. And he said he was sweating bullets. And finally, the guard kept them there for half an hour and came back and said to him, Sir, there's a man in Bratislava who has the same name, mm. the same birth date as you do. And literally, the guard thought he was an imposter who had stolen some uh, Bratislava's uh, citizen's identity. And he was scared to death that they were going to arrest him. And he tried to explain... But he left the country many years ago when he was 16 years old and that he was just coming back to visit uh, his former hometown. And luckily for him, this guard relented and let them get in. Uh, and there were no problems. But it, it's an example how the fear of uh, going back there was basic and uh he was really worried that he was going to get arrested. It does point out the uh, the true crime on humanity, whether it be Nazis, oh, yeah. Russians then, Russians now with the Putin or the Chinese or the Saudis or any of these regimes, why this fits perfectly into a true crime podcast. Because, <laughs> that was extraordinary. Right, Are right. you kidding? Di Diane, you were high on doing this. We love Joe anyway, but you were high on doing this because it points out that uh, you can be a criminal and wear a uniform and have an authoritative 
decree, uh, you're still a criminal as far as we're concerned. So, Joe, um, the book will soon be an audio book. I'm honored to be the one narrating it, as I've done your other projects. It's It's a terrifically challenging but wonderful project to do. I'm proud to do it. And the book is called Run for My Life by Joseph P. O'Donnell, as told by Daniel Coleman, K-O-L-M-A-N-N. Again, Joe, that's a, that's a pseudonym. We understand why you explained it very well. But yeah. what, a, what a story. And I'm sure Daniel is quite proud to know that he's hooked up with a great guy to help him tell the story. It's a great, well, thank you. It's a great summer read on the beach. Go to Amazon. Get it. <laughs> And Joe, uh, knowing you and knowing us, we'll talk again real soon. Okay, Jordan. Thank you so much for the interview, Diane. Thank you, and I'll speak to you later. Thank you. Have a great day. Before we close the courtroom door on this podcast, we remind you that All Rise with Diane Godfrey is available on all podcast platforms. We invite you to subscribe, download, rate, and review this podcast. You've been listening to All Rise with Diane Godfrey. True stories from inside the courthouse from the lady who wrote everything down. Case dismissed. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.